Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. As Rachel mentioned, we're going to be uh, spending the rest of July uh, in a series which is very simply titled uh, Relationships. And so our mission uh, as, a, as a church, our vision is to multiply uh, healthy local churches uh, starting here. And then we know that God has uh, placed something in our hearts to plant other churches uh, out of this place as well. But then our mission, how we get that done, uh, we have this statement that says creating, this is how we do it. We create environments that inspire intimacy with Christ, relationship with others, and influence in our world. And, and those three things there, they aren't separate components. Okay, now we're talking about intimacy with Christ. Okay, now we're talking about how we do life with others. Now we're talking about, you know, how we influence our world. No, no, all those things are connected together um, because they're not, they're not separate. God's called us to reach people, but He's also called us to be with Him. He's also called us to be with each other as well. And so uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, wherever you go, there are people. Now, if you're like me and on the, on the scale, I'm naturally slightly introverted. And so, yes, that means that I do like my own company. Um, but by the way, the introvert-extrovert thing is actually more about how you recharge as a person. So whether you recharge with others or recharge by yourself, on, like I said, on the you know, scale thing, I, I recharge just a little bit slightly um, by myself. But even... For all the introverts in the place that are all very thankful that we don't do like a one-minute meet and greet some people and the introverts just like, oh my gosh, like just take me now, take me now. I've seen this great church meme. It's like I'm joining the worship team just so I get out of the one-minute meet and greet and can stay on the stage and not talk to people. Um, so yes, yes. Um, but um, wherever we are, there are people, whether it's, uh, you know, maybe in your home, family, in your workplace, school, university, in our marriages, in our dating relationships, in our friendships. Um, most places that we find ourselves, we also find other people. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at some core components of what, what are healthy, functional relationships. We're going to be studying the Word of God. We're going to be looking at the culture that we find ourselves in and taking some practical steps to go, how do we follow Jesus in this area of relationships? And our, 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 key, our key verse uh, for this series is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It'll be on the you know, giant Bible screen behind me, but I'll read it to you as well. Uh, it says this, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of of others. Now, I'm not sure about you, but right there in those two small verses is so much wisdom and challenge that we could, we could spend all four weeks, in fact, we could just spend the rest of the year um, applying this verse to our lives. I, I read that and think, okay, God, please help me. Because imagine if just, just simply from those verses, imagine if that was a prayer that we spoke out over our own lives each and every day. Imagine the transformation, imagine the, the, the power, the grace of God that would fill every interaction that, that, that I have, that you have, that we have uh, with anyone. I, imagine if we prayed a prayer like, like, God, today help me not to speak or act from any place of selfish ambition or pride. 
Let humility fill my every thought and action so that I place others in a more significant place than myself. God, I will not just look out for myself, even though I know that you care for me, but I will look to the interests of others. Amen. Like, imagine if we imagine if we started every day like that. Imagine if before we, you know, as we were maybe driving to work or as we put out our hand to open the office door, we said like a silent little prayer that just said, God, come on today. I don't want to do anything from pride or selfish ambition. I want to prefer others in, in, in instead, of, instead of myself. I, I, I want to uh, let, you know, humility fill every thought and action that I have. So some of us, we hear that and we think, whoa, like, I, I, I'm out of here. Like, what, what a standard. There is no way that I could ever live like that. You know, nice sentiment, you know, inspiring words, but, you know, there's no way that this is really connected to, you know, the reality of what my life looks like right now. And I get it. I, I, I agree. It's easy to say that on a Sunday, it's a bit more challenging to walk that out, you know, Monday through to Saturday and, you know, including Sunday as well. But, but here Paul, who wrote this portion of Scripture to the church in Philippi, he continues like this uh, from verse 5, we'll read 5 through to 11. He says this, "'Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, excuse me, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord um, to the glory of God. The Father. You see, Paul doesn't just write all these lofty words about placing, you know, others uh, before ourselves, and then and then leave us with the task of trying to make that happen in our own strength. He very quickly connects these attributes to Jesus. Now, not only do we look to Jesus as our example, you know, Jesus did this, as the passage said, it said that he emptied himself, that if there was anyone who ever lived on this planet that could, that could claim their own greatness, surely it was the Son of God. But he, but he left all that behind, and as the passage says, God honoured him for that. But, but, but even more than just an example, even more than great teaching, because not only was Jesus a great teacher, he was a great moral teacher, he, he taught so much. He wasn't just that. He was also an example. He didn't just, you know, do as I, do as I teach, not as I, not as I do. You know, he, he wasn't like that. He was an example as well. But also, also, it says that we can have this same mind in us. It says, which is yours in Christ? So often when we think of the promises of God for our lives, we think about things that are external and that's fine, you know, about, about job opportunities, about a career, about a house, about a you know, certain, certain circumstance going our way. But there is a promise of God here that in Christ, that in Christ we can have this same mind that Jesus had, which was to live in a way that placed others above our own needs and placed others first and ourselves second. 
You, you, you see, not only did Jesus teach about it, not only did Jesus example it, but He also comes to fill us with His power and His strength to be able to walk that out each and every day. You see, when it comes to relationships, the greatest and most important relationship you will ever have is with Jesus Christ. You see, the closer you move towards Jesus and following His ways, the healthier, more functional and more fulfilling your relationships will be. Every relationship, the one with your boss, with your friends, your spouse, your children, your parents, with that guy at work who heaps up weird smelling food in the staff microwave. And then when you walk into the staff room, you've got to smell whatever three-day-old thing that was that just got, that just got heated up. Our relationship with Jesus will actually bring health and fruit and wholeness to all of those relationships, every relationship, because it starts between us and God. And so we want to lay that as a foundation at the beginning of this series, your relationship with Jesus matters. I, I know that seems obvious. I know, like, are we on Christianity 101 here? Like, what's going on? But I don't know about you, but I know for me, I need reminding of this, that every relationship will be healthier and more whole when I connect myself with Jesus in a greater way. And, and remember, this is an ongoing thing. The, the moment of salvation when you said yes to following Jesus, maybe you haven't done that before and there'll be opportunity to do that at the end of this service. But when, when you said yes to Jesus, that wasn't the end, that was the beginning. There, there's, this, there's this ongoing uh, you know, journey with Jesus and it's vitally important that it doesn't end there. It's the start of the journey. And so with, with, with this as the, as the foundation, each week what we're, what we're going to do in this series, instead of doing, okay, you know, week one's about marriage, Week two is about this. Week three is about about you know friendships. You know, week three is about parenting. Whatever. We're gonna take a we're gonna take a core concept that spans every week. Uh, sorry, each week we're gonna take a core concept, and we're gonna ask, what does the world and culture tell us about this concept when it comes to relationships? What does the Word of God say about this? Unsurprisingly, it's oftentimes different to what society and culture says. And then how do we bring that into our, into our everyday, into our marriages if you're married, into our singleness if we're singled, into our um, dating relationships, in our workplaces, in our home and family life. What, is, what does that actually look, look like? And so today, uh, I want to open the series and, and, and talk about love. So I know quite you know, expansive, wide <laughs> topic. There are more songs, there are more novels, there are more movies, more plays written about love than any other topic from, you know, from the greats such as Tolstoy and Jane Austen and, and, and Whitney Houston. Now, according to, I say Whitney, not because I'm a personal fan, but um, according to Insider Magazine, um, I Will Always Love You is the greatest love song ever written. I would say discuss among yourselves, but then I'll lose you for the next half an hour. But anyway, maybe that can be a discussion at home or while you're having coffee afterwards. They, they, they think it is. So from the, you know, from the heights of, you know, Pride and Prejudice or Whitney Houston or whatever, whatever you, Whatever you think is, is the greatest love thing. So the absolute, you know, bottom of the barrel, you know, Love Island, Married at First Sight, another, you know, reality TV garbage. But no judgment here, no judgment here, not looking at people. Um, you know, but what, what, what are we talking about when we're talking about love? Well, probably you guessed it, but a great place to start and I'm doing everything in my power not to sing, you know, let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. But anyway, um, 
A great place to start is in, that's right, don't, don't start me, Jackie, don't start me, um, is the Bible. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, we, we won't have time, but I'd highly encourage you over this week, please, please read through, you know, 1 John 4, 7 through to 21 is just incredible passage of scripture uh, about love. There's just so much in there. Um, but what, is, what does the Bible tell us about love? Well, verse 7 that we just read before from 1 John 4 says that love is from God. But then verse 8 takes it up uh, a notch, takes it up even higher and says, not only is love from God, but God is love. God is love. Um, love originates in Him. That, that love just doesn't flow through God, but love actually flows from God. That He is the author, that He is the originator, that, that, that he, is, he, is, he is love. He doesn't just do love. He doesn't do loving acts. He's not just a loving person or a loving God, but He is actually love. That love is all wrapped up in God. Now, before you think we've gone, well, I'm on a bit of a music thing today, but before you think you've, we've gone all, you know, Beatles and all you need is love, which I won't sing either, uh, at the moment, we've got, to, we've got to define love. And now to do that, we would obviously need to cover, you know, vast um, amount of the Bible to do this properly, but I want to give you a few, um, a few verses and then a summary from someone much smarter than me. So 1 John 4.10, a couple of verses down, continues like this, says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Now that phrase, you probably, that can be your word challenge for this week. Can you put propitiation into a sentence? No, anyway, don't worry, no one cared about that. Okay, but what it means is simply, it means that our sins are paid for. That God shows mercy on us because of Jesus, that, that our sins have been covered. So that was verse 10, and then verse 17, same chapter 1, John 4, says this, By this love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. You might be thinking, hold on for a second. I, I thought we were just talking about love, but now we're talking about a day of judgment and, and sins and wrongdoing being paid for. I, I, I thought this was all just like pretty love sort of, you know, you know Lennon, all I need is love type sort of, type sort of deal. But uh, I, I want to read you this quote from Tim Keller. Uh, this is from the book, The Meaning of Marriage. He says this, Love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent the conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. Amazing. So the biblical summary of love is this, is that it originates in God, that He is 
the source. Now, not only do we see love in the nature of God, but He also gave us a human version of it in Jesus Christ. Fully God, fully, fully human, at the same time born to this earth. He lived in the way of love. But this love wasn't all, you know, flowers, be true to yourself and whatever makes you feel happy, satisfied and affirmed. You know, just, just do that. Now, this wasn't the type of love. This love, like we just read, has truth embedded in it. The truth that without Jesus, we are far from God. The truth that God's ways and thoughts are always higher than our own. So, so that's what the Bible says about love, but what is what is what is society? What is the the culture that we live in? In a sense, the air that we breathe, the water that we that we swim in. What is what does that say about love? Well, probably one of the most current one-liners about love is this: "Love is love." I'm sure you've heard that before somewhere. It's thrown around everywhere. Now, now let's just stop and think about that for a second. That is a great marketing line. In fact, it is actually brilliant because it's hard to be not for love, but you know, love is love. Yet, when we actually think about it for a moment, it actually makes no sense. It has no foundation and it has no truth that it's anchored to. Because you see, if love is love, then it can mean whatever the individual wants it to mean. There's no parameters, there's no boundaries around it because it's governed by what gives me my own personal psychological happiness and when taken to the extreme can have devastating effects. You see, our culture does not recognise the truth of the Word of God. That shouldn't freak us out. That was the same in Jesus' time. It's been the same all throughout church history. It may be new to us, but it's okay because this is what... The truth of the Word of God says, Jeremiah 17 verse 9, says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That is true, watch this, of all of us. All of us. But the great hope that we have in God is that because of Jesus Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone. The Bible says, Behold, the new has come. We are made right before God, not by our own actions, but by our faith and confession in Jesus Christ. And then He fills our lives and fills us with His Spirit so we can, can continue this journey of following Jesus, becoming more and more like Him every day. Every day. So we have this biblical understanding of what love is, that it is anchored to God. Not only is it anchored to God, but God is, it's anchored to Him because He is love. And so He sets the bounds. He sets the parameters. His Word tells us what love is. We have, we have that on one side. We, we, we have the world that says, well, love is just whatever uh, love means to you. And, you know, you be true to you and, you know, have, have your truth and you have your truth and I'll have my truth and there's no absolute truth. But is that absolutely true? Anyway, we won't go there. Otherwise, we'll go down. As we'll go down a big, a big, a big rabbit hole, right? That's what the world says. But God says something different. It is His definition of love, not our own or society's or social media or whatever. He has given us His Word. He has filled us with His Spirit so that we can walk in the way of love. And so what, is, what does that look like? So, so what I want to do over the next, mm, I'm going to say 10 minutes to give myself some time. What, what, I, I want to look at what does that look like in some of our different areas of relationships that we have. What, what does that look like in marriage? So in marriage, oftentimes... In marriage, we can look to our spouse to be the source 
of all love. And so we can have unrealistic expectations that they should fill up our love tank in a way that only God can do. And when we do that, what we are doing is we are, what we are demanding is an impossibility. We are looking to a person to give us something that only God can. Now, obviously, in a healthy, functional marriage, there is love that fills us from, from our spouse. But when we, when we try and place the filter of things that God should give us and place it on our husband or place it on our wife, it's an unrealistic expectation that they can never meet. You see, placing Jesus at the center of your marriage doesn't mean having a wall hanging that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you have that, that's great. Have scripture around the house. There's nothing wrong with that. But that in and of itself will not center a home or center a marriage around Jesus and around the Word of God. You see, um, what does is when you, when I, when we all take responsibility to develop our own walk and relationship with Jesus Christ through reading the Word, through prayer, through meditation, through worship, through prioritizing, gathering together as a church family or as a, as, as a life group, through surrounding ourselves with people that spur us on, like the Bible says, to love and to good deeds, that iron sharpens iron, that encourages on in, in, in the things of God. As you are more connected to the love of God, this allows that love to flow through your life to your spouse, then we're not trying to get love from each other, but rather we're trying to mutually give love. And instead of trying to fulfill our own needs, we're looking to fill the needs of our spouse. Why? Because we are centered in God's love. His love is the ultimate uh, filler of our hearts. And we don't look to our spouse to fill us in ways that only God can. Once again, Tim Keller says this same book, uh, Meaning of Marriage, says, whether we are husband or wife, we are not to live for ourselves, but for the other. And that is the hardest, amen, yet single most important function of being a husband or wife in marriage. You know, in your marriage this week, what's one thing that you could do that would connect you more closely to God? How would that, how would that encourage and build up your marriage, what's the one thing that, that you could do? You might be like, I have absolutely no idea. Turn up to church next Sunday? Yes, excellent. That's one of the correct, that's one of the correct answers. But before we get to that, may, maybe even it's take, taking that key scripture that I said of, of, the, of the series, Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4, and going, okay, I'm going to read this once a day. I, I'm going to read it. I'm going to let the words of God come and fill my heart, and I'm going to connect closer to God. It may take me five minutes, may take me two minutes, I may sit with it for 20 minutes, it doesn't matter, but something that connects me to God because I know that is going to make such a difference in my marriage because I'm connected to the source of love. And so, so that's it. And what's one thing that you could do that would give love to your spouse? Remember, it's about fulfilling their needs, not your own. What's, what's, what's one thing? Just could be, could be simple. It doesn't have to be extravagant, or if you want to go with that, absolutely. I'm sure your spouse will be like, yes, we're going to Bali for the week, or you know, whatever, what, whatever you're doing, that, that, that would be amazing. But what's just the one thing? You know, often in life, we look to the big grand things to make a difference, when really, it's like the cumulative difference of just going week in, week out, week in, week out. What's one thing you can do? So that's, so that's marriage. What, what, what about this, this thought of love, that love is from God, that he's the originator of it. How does that work with our friendships? 
Because God wants our friendships to be filled with His love. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 is a fairly famous chapter of the Bible on love used in, you know, many wedding ceremonies, which, you know, speaking of, um, Rachel and I celebrated 17 years of marriage yesterday. Hey! Who would have thought? We'd show you a photo, but it'd be far too embarrassing. But um, 17 years, but... Um, the part I want to bring out from 1 Corinthians 13 is this. It's the second sort of end part of verse 5. It says this, uh, talking about love. It says that love, it keeps no record of being wronged. No record. Uh, yeah, that's not correct grammar up there, but that's all right. You'll, you'll excuse that. It keeps no record of being wronged. I don't know about you, but I'm sure somewhere in a friendship, at some time you've been wronged, you've been let down, You've been rejected, you've been forgotten, you've been disappointed. God's way of love calls us to forgive and calls us to keep no record of it. Now, if, if you're like me, um, it may be easy to forget where you put the car keys 30 seconds ago, especially when you're running late trying to get out the door. Yet for some reason, how can I forget that? Yet letting go of... Uh, a situation where someone hurt me is so hard to forget about. You're like, I right, just get the keys thing over to here. Then it would just be, it would just be amazing. But notice that the Bible doesn't say just act like it never happened. You know, just put your big boy pants on, get over it, take a concrete pill. You know, power through. Like you'll be, you'll be all right. It doesn't say that. It says this it uses this language of keeping a record of wrong. And, and when I read that, it has this sort of this sense of like intentionality about it. It speaks to me about like holding something purposely. Like you've set up some little like, you know, like lever arch file in your mind and you're like, you know, and you, you're going, okay, I'm going to flick through, find Fred. Okay, flip open to Fred. Okay, this is the way that Fred has hurt me. In the file, close out the file. Okay, I'll save that for later. Like that's, that's, the, type of, that's the type of thing that it speaks to me about. But, but the Bible says that we're to keep no record no record of wrongs against us. Uh, one more scripture on this, Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone, I hate that part, who offends you. <laughs> Remember, the Lord forgave you. Here's the kicker. So you must forgive others. Yeah, here is just one instance. There's many throughout the scripture where the Bible connects us forgiving others and not keeping a record of wrongdoing with being forgiven by God, that we forgive because we are connected to God who forgave us. That's why we forgive. We're reminded that we have been forgiven, that we have been forgiven. So maybe as Ben comes and joins me up here this week, are there any, are there any of those lever arch files that you've been holding specifically maybe against others that need to be let go of. They need to, you know, get the shredder out, put it through, get the, um, uh, you know, get the paper out, burn them, burn them up. Did anyone ever do that with like, you know, when you finish school, like burn your school books? At, no, you didn't do that at, at the end. I'll, I'll, I'll admit um, I did have a few, you know, dating year seven and eight um, relationships when I, was, when, I, when I was in high school, you know, we, I know, shocking, hey, we'd like pass love notes and the girls always sprayed it with, um, what was that deodorant called, impulse or, or whatever. And so the, um, and, and so in our school, maybe it's just a New South Wales thing, the thing was that when you broke up after three days, because that was usually about the length of, length of time, that all those notes that you'd received, you'd burn them. No one else? Okay, just us. So that's all right. 
That's all right. That's all right. But, but what do you need? Is there something you need to let go of? Something you need to burn, not physically, please. No, you know, is there, is there something you just need to let go of? And finally, what does love, God's love look like in our workplaces, in our schools, in our universities, wherever you find yourself in that, in that working, uh, learning environment? Maybe, maybe, maybe for you, you're retired. And so for you, that's those uh, social circles of, of things that you do. Colossians 4, verse 5 and, 6, 5 and 6, sorry, says this. This is the message paraphrase. It says, Use your heads um, as you live and work among outsiders. It's using this language of outsiders, people that don't follow Christ. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. See, so, yeah, I want to focus just for a moment when it comes to our you know, places of work, places of learning, uh, I want to fo- focus on that part of speech. I-, I understand there's many ways to display and show love to others. You know, many people here might be familiar with the concept of the five love languages of physical touch, quality time, acts of service, gifts and words of affirmation. But, but I-, I just felt this morning in those spaces of work and learning that God wants to highlight to us this morning our speech that would we display God's love by our gracious speech. I love how the message paraphrases it. Bring out the best in others in a conversation. No pulling down, which we usually do to make ourselves feel a little bit better. Not cutting them out, which we usually do to make ourselves feel a little bit bigger and more important. But are your conversations at work, at school, are they looking out for others or are they all about us? Do we look for and take the opportunities to celebrate and lift up others, to encourage and to place the spotlight on them instead of ourselves? Sometimes, watch this, I think this is important. Sometimes this is done through speaking. Hey, great job. It's awesome. Really like how you did that. I don't know no one noticed that you did this thing at work, but I really appreciate it you know, blah, 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 you know, school, do you want to come sit with us? You're sitting by yourself, whatever it is. Sometimes this is done through asking questions and watch this and then not speaking. <laughs> what? This thing called listening. So, so, sometimes sometimes our, our gracious speech should be filled with a question and then a pause as we listen, actually truly listen, not just, and you know, I catch myself doing this all the time, not just think about what we're going to say next, but actually listen to what someone is saying. You see, as we do this, God's love moves through our lives, it impacts others, and it also improves our own relationships with colleagues, with bosses, with our peers, with other students. And so this morning, right across, we'd circle back around to the start and remind ourselves that God's Word wants to guide us and direct us. It wants to fill us with His purpose and His plan for our lives. That the love of God is not just some nice, you know, pretty sort of thing that's, you know, let's go watch the notebook together or, or whatever, but, but it's also filled with His truth. It's also filled with the reality of, 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 of who God is and that His love 
has His parameters, has His thoughts, has His ways, has His boundaries around it. And as we understand and connect more with the love of God, then we can see that flow in our marriages, in our friendships, in our workplaces, wherever we find people. And so as we approach this month, uh, as a starter, I, I, I would love to invite you to allow the love of God to work in your life and to work through your life. Drawing closer with Him will allow you to approach all your relationships with that new perspective, that God lends, that I'm here to bring God's love to others. And so across this place, we're going to take a, a quick moment in prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made a commitment or a decision to embrace God's love for your life personally and to what we call give your life to Jesus. In a moment, we're all going to say a prayer together that just helps to encapsulate that, that type of thinking that says, God, I, I, I want to follow you.